This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Before I get started with the message tonight, I would like to read you some things from a survey. And it tells you what kind of a job we have ahead of us. Among millennials, 44% claim to have a biblical worldview. 44%. The ones that actually have a biblical worldview are about 4%. Gen Xers, 53% claim a, a biblical worldview and just 6% have one. Among elders, the combined generation of people over 75 years old, 62% claim to have a biblical worldview, and only 9% actually have a biblical worldview. Among sage cons, now what's that? I had to look that one up. But that's individuals who are conservative in their Christian faith active in pursuit of a closer relationship with Christ, and passionate about uh, the state of our social, political, and moral values, 88% of them claim to have a a biblical worldview. In fact, only about 44% of them have a biblical worldview. And that tells us right there the job that we have to do as a church. And that's the purpose of this series of lessons that I'm on, is to tell us how to have a a pure church, a proper church, a church that's, that's pleasing to God and doing what He needs to be done. And tonight I'm going to talk about this, uh, the omniscience of God. This is the third lesson looking at the person whose church we're building. We've learned that God is a separatist, and separation is a dirty word today among Christians. But God is a separatist. That's what holy means. His churches and his people are to separate from the lost world. Now, that's not a total separation where you have absolutely nothing to do with them. If you did that, how could you reach them? It's a separation in that we don't do the things that they do, go the places the way they go to address and look like them and and speak like them. Last week, we looked at the fact that he is all-powerful which means we can trust Him for anything that we need. Well, this lesson, I want to look at how His omniscience relates to building a church, but also to us in our personal lives. First of all, uh, we need to redefine, or to define, as Pastor did a good job Sunday, uh, omniscience. Omni means everywhere, or all, or everything. I'm a, a radio guy. And we have omnidirectional antennas. They are antennas that receive from every direction or transmit in every direction. And science means knowledge. As a matter of fact, in some languages it's used that way. Uh, And when we see conscience, it's with knowledge, as the pastor talked about Sunday. The omniscience of God is that attribute whereby he knows all things, past, present, and future. He knows all these things immediately, that's right now, simultaneously, at the same time, and exhaustively, there's nothing in his knowledge that's lacking, nothing whatsoever. By definition, God is the ultimate scientist. 
since he has ultimate knowledge of all things. And that's what science means. So when they talk about something that's a theory and say it's science, well, it's not science because you don't know it. So it's knowledge. Okay, now, if you're there in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says, uh, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. It's important that we understand that God knew what's going to happen at the end times before he created anything in Genesis 1-1. He knew we were going to be sitting here tonight, or me standing, but you sitting, talking tonight. He knew that there was going to be that little noise out of Carter just a moment ago before the world began. We don't really grasp, I don't think, how infinite his knowledge is. I mean, he talks about a sparrow falling to the ground. And he knows that. He sees it. He knows uh, the number of hairs on our head and, and all that. I'll say more about that probably later. But, uh, but he knew everything before he created anything. He knows those things that are not yet done. He knows exactly what the new auditorium is going to look like over there. He knows exactly how long it's going to take us to get everything set up. He knows exactly every problem we're going to have as we do that. And he knows exactly everything that's going to go well as we do that. And the, both of those things will happen. And he knows every bit of that. And it hasn't happened yet. He knows where this church will be a year from now. Now, you talked about getting uh, kicked out last uh, Mother's Day last year out of our previous meeting place. And that's true. But God knew that before we ever started this. He knew that before the foundation of the world. He knows how faithful we're going to be as individuals and as a church. And that should scare us just a little bit. What he has planned, that's his counsel. Uh, if you look the word up, you'll find that's what it means. Will come to pass. Everything he's planned will come to pass. Everything he has planned for this church will come to pass. Everything that he has planned for us as individuals will come to pass. Exactly as he plans it. If we are faithful, he has planned blessings for us. If we are not then he'll use us still to show what happens to a church that's not faithful. I hope and believe that we're going to be in that first category. He knows all of our needs. It says, Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask, but he knows before we ask. We don't have to worry about him providing for us because he knows what we need. He's a loving father and he will give it to us. He knows what our church needs before we ask for it. Do you think that he knew that we were going to need some money as this church started when he burned down a thrift store? See, when the thrift store burned down, it just was a heartache for everybody. But God had his purpose in it because he, he knew it was going to happen. He promises us to give us everything we need because he knows what they are. But he doesn't promise to give us everything we want. Stop and think about it. If he knows what's going to happen tomorrow, then he knows what we need for tomorrow. If he knows what we're going to need next year. You know, it was put to me this way once a long, long time ago when I was just a new Christian. If God needs an oak tree out there in 2022, he'll plant it however many years before it's necessary, because he knows it's going to be needed. And we just need to keep that in mind. He knows everything, and, and he will supply our need he, uh, as, as we grow. Um, in this next verse, 
For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who could tell God anything? Who could teach God anything? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, no one can instruct somebody who knows everything. Now, we know some people who think they know everything, and you can't instruct them. So if you have somebody who really does know everything, like God, who's going to teach him anything? He already knows every, anything. Uh, his knowledge instructs us. We do not instruct him. And that's an important thing for us to remember as we, as we live our lives, as we build a church, as whatever we're doing is that his knowledge, which we find in his book, uh, teaches us, it instructs us, because he knows it. But this is something I think is so important to us that we forget about. It's the last part of that verse. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, does that mean we have all of his thoughts and everything crammed into our head? No. What that means is, right here is the mind of Christ. The Word of God is the mind of Christ. And we have that. We know everything we need to know that he thinks, that he wants, that he uh, desires, that he expects. We know all of that stuff. So we have his mind. You know, sometimes we want to know somebody's mind. We have them write it out for us so we know what they're thinking. And that's what that means. Knows what they're thinking and where they're going. Now, what's important, I think, tonight is that we understand that he does not give his knowledge to just anybody. In this next verse, it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And to whom shall he make understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You know, he, he only gives his uh, uh, knowledge, his understanding, to those who are beyond the milk of the Scriptures. If you go to Hebrews chapter 5, the last part, we're not going there tonight, but it talks about Paul is chastising the Hebrew Christians because they were not able to teach others. They were still babes in Christ. They were still requiring milk when they should have been eating meat. So he, God gives his knowledge to those who are maturing spiritually. And the more we mature, the more knowledge he gives us. That's why there are things that, uh, and I, I know everybody, even uh, the, the newest saved here in this church has been saved long enough to know that you've read things and read things over and over again and something did not pop out to you and then all of a sudden one day it's just like it, it was an explosion as it jumped off the page at you it was so clear and you say why did I miss that before because you hadn't matured to the point where you needed it yet or where you could really understand it and that's that's the way it works so it, it's uh, a mature Christian will search the scriptures to find out what God wants, what God expects. In Second Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, something that we don't often realize is that study takes work. The Bible also uses study in a little bit different way, but it's work. It says study to do things. That means work at doing things. But what we're talking about here is studying God's Word, going in, digging in. It's being like the Bereans. Some preacher stands up here and preaches, and I don't care if it's me or the pastor or Carter or, or uh, Carter. He doesn't preach yet, does he? 
<laughs> Tyler uh, or, or Brother Carter when he comes out here. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. It's our job to go to the scriptures and search the scriptures to see if it's true. And that's to the type of person that God gives his, his knowledge to. No scripture can be understood apart from other scripture. We talk about taking something out of context. Well, there's that local context, and of course that's the most important, but you've got to keep it in the context of the whole Bible. Not just that particular context that, you're, that you happen to be uh, studying at that particular time. Uh, <clears throat> that's why it talks about line upon line and precept upon precept. Uh, we're to rightly divide the word of truth. What goes with what? Because let me tell you something. I'm going to quote scripture to you that says we should all go out and commit suicide. And we should do it tonight. Okay? The Bible says Judas went out and hung himself. Does it not? It says, go ye therefore and do likewise. And whatsoever you do, do quickly. Now that's all scripture. But I've taken a piece from over here and a piece from over here and a piece from over here that do not go together and put them together. That's how the cults get started. That's what they build on, is using Scripture out of truth. The Scriptures reveal a little bit of truth here and a little bit of truth there. Where's the first uh, implication in the Bible of the virgin birth? It's way back in Genesis chapter 3. Does it say it clearly? No. But once you get through the up to the virgin birth, you look back and say, hey, yeah, that's what it was talking about, the seed of a woman. You see? And that's how you build doctrine. It's a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, in this next passage of Scripture on the same subject, who shall ascend unto the hills of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not uh, lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. These are other conditions that are required if we want to understand God's Word, if we want His knowledge, if we want it to be revealed to us. Uh, the Scriptures can be seen as the holy place of God because that's what they are. They're the holy Scriptures. When we're in the Scriptures, we're in a holy place. And if we're going to stand there in the Scriptures, we have to have clean hands and a pure heart. They're necessary if we're going to stand there because God just will not reveal His secrets to us. Remember this, nobody can understand the things of God without the Spirit of God. And if we've done something to quench the Spirit, or we're doing something to quench the Spirit, we can't expect the Spirit to be revealing things to us. Pride, that's vanity, and dishonesty are uh, things that will cause us to fail to understand the things of God. And I think anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time can find times when they, uh, when they allowed their pride or their desires to twist things around to make the Scriptures say something they didn't. Probably for most of us it's some small thing, but we have a tendency to do that. and We have to work hard not to do it. But if we want to know what God's thoughts are and know what He wants us to know, we need to live the proper kinds of lives before Him. Another thing is we cannot hide our thoughts from God. In Psalms 139 verses 1 and 2 it says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and mine up uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Now, first of all, 
God knows us better than we know ourselves. We think we really know ourselves. Oh, I would never do that or I would never not do that. And then the time comes and we're tempted to go otherwise and we do just the opposite of what we said. But God knew that. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our needs better than we know our needs. And he knows when we sit down. He knows when we stand up. He knows how many hairs we have. If he knows that much about us, how many of you know how many hairs you have? Even those that have less don't know how many hairs they have. But here's what I want us to see in this verse. Thou understandest my thought afar off. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. He knows what we're going to think. And why that's important is just remember, but if you hate somebody, you've already committed murder, right? That's your thoughts. Brother uh, Tyler did a really good job of teaching on iniquity and showing how it's our thoughts. That's where the sin starts. So he knows those thoughts. He, kn he knows when you lust after somebody or something and uh, that sin, and he knows those things. So we need to keep our thoughts as pure as we can. You know, we can't necessarily stop a thought from popping into our head. Now, some we can by not putting us in situation, but sometimes thoughts pop into our head. We say, where in the world did that come from? But here's one thing. My pastor used to put it that we grew up under. He used to say, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. The thought pops in, but we don't have to keep it there. We can kick it right back out. It's important to understand that. I want to conclude tonight by taking a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10. We're going to look at verses uh, 19 through 25, but I'm not going to read, them all, read it all at once because I want to break it down. But in, in verse 19 it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. If we're saved, we can enter into the holiest of God, the holy, the holy place of God. We can enter in there. We can go to the throne of grace and, and, and boldly. Why? Because we've trusted in Christ and he paid our sin debt. So we now stand justified before God and we can go and talk to the King, the creator of the universe. And verse 30, 21, it goes on, it says, Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience uh, and our bodies washed with uh, pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for, wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. Christ is our high priest in the house of God. Now, that house of God can mean various things, but he's the high priest in Victory Baptist Church, is he not? He's the, he's the head right here, but, he, but he's also in our lives, in the house of our hearts. He, he's the high priest. We can approach him with full assurance of faith. We can trust him for anything. We can trust him to say no when we need no to be said. We can trust him to say yes when we need yes to be said. He can trust him to say wait when we need to wait. We can trust him in absolutely anything. I'll tell you, I have 
not the only one, but I've lived a couple of years. And I have watched God meet our needs in fantastic ways. Again, I can refer to the building that we're getting. But I can go back in my own life and look at things. I can look at things that he did in Bellingham when I was pastoring up there through the church and things like this. When heating oil prices shot through the roof, churches, some of the larger churches, were finding all of a sudden they had a $5,000 a month heating bill in the wintertime. We had about $400 a month wintertime heating bill, if I recall correctly, and we put in a new furnace, and the prices shot up, and we had a $400 because we put in a new furnace. God prepared before the prices went up to keep us from having to pay this different bill. We can come in with full assurance of faith. When we do, though, our conscience must be clear of all evil if we expect Him to respond to us. We need to have a clear conscience. I've thought a lot about that part where it talks about uh, bodies washed with pure water. And some people would take that and apply that to baptism, but that can't possibly be what it's talking about here. It just would not fit the context at all. So I did some thinking and some praying on it, and I got to think about something. We're washed by the water of the Word. How can you get more pure water than the water of the Word? And what is the body? The body is that part of us which is visible to others. So we should live our lives like a Christian should live our lives before the lost world. I know people that they are just the best looking Christians you ever saw on Sunday morning. And pretty good on Wednesday night too. But you see them at Lowe's and you see something totally different. You see immodesty in the women. Uh, you see uh, worldliness in the acts and the language of the, of the men. It ought not be that way. What people see, our bodies, should always reflect our Heavenly Father, should always reflect God. Always people be able to say there's something different about them because they are a Christian, and they should know that. We shouldn't have to tell people we're Christians, by the way we should live in such a way that they know it. Now, when I first went into the ministry, I used to make a statement that the only people who don't know how Christians ought to live are Christians, because the lost world did. But Christians have lived uh, worldly lives for so long now that even the world doesn't know how we're supposed to live. And we should be an example, we should be different. We have this assurance of faith, why? Not because we're so great, not because we didn't goof up in some of the things I've mentioned, but because God is faithful. And He's made us some promises and we can trust them. Let's go to the last part of this, or this passage. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together uh, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I believe the day approaching is approaching very quickly right now, but we need to realize that church is a whole lot more than hearing preaching and singing some hymns. A very important part of church is the interactions we have with one another, the encouraging one another, provoking them to love, provoking them to good works, 
that type of thing is a very important part of church. And I'll tell you, there are times when you can't make it to church. Brother Tom here has had some health issues where he couldn't come. And it was good to have church streamed into his home where he could watch it. I remember when I had my heart surgery. Uh, it was really nice that there was a church down in, uh, in uh, South Carolina that the pastor called me and told me how to watch their services live. I was glad for that. But that's not church. Church is assembling. The word church means a, an assembly. That means coming together. We cannot do that online. Now, if you have to because of health reasons or some other reason that you have to miss church and you can watch it online, that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But when you're able to get to church and you choose to stay home because it's easier, because you don't have to get dressed up, maybe even because it saves gas at these high gas price days, if that's why you're doing it, you're not in church. If you're not in the assembly, you are not in the ecclesia, which is the assembly. And you're not able to do the things we're supposed to do. Uh, we're to provoke one another to good works. We're to uh, exhort one another. What does that word exhort mean? We were in a church where all they talked about all the time was spiritual gifts and spiritual temperaments. And they said that to exhort, uh, going out of the gifts in Romans uh, chapter 12, I think it is, 8 or 12. And it says exhorting. And they said that means to encourage. No, encourage is a different word. And although they are related, they do not mean the same thing. See, encourage means to put courage into somebody to lift them up. Exhort means to use strong language, not filthy language, but forceful language, to encourage people to do what's right. That's what exhorting is. Exhorting is more than just lifting somebody up, like encourage. It's encouraging them to do that which is right. And how do we do that? Well, I'll tell you something. When you're in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday, Wednesday, some weaker Christian comes in, he sees you faithful all the time, and he sees God blessing you, you are just exhorted them, believe it or not, be faithful to church. Annie was talking to uh, one of the ladies uh, about uh, they're looking for a house and, and talking about they have their desires. And, and uh, she was telling her how that uh, I was looking for a church to pastor and I couldn't find one. It's like, like I'd mailed out a resume to a church and I don't think it got past the mailbox. Nothing was happening. And both of us had something we said we would never do. I said I would never go back on deputation. Our pastor, although he wasn't my pastor then, wrote me a long email. You could see he was a little nervous, didn't know how I was going to take it. And he says, maybe that's why God won't open the door. I said, fine. So we started to get ready to go back on deputation, and God shut that down using my son's health, but that's beside the point. And he said, I'll go anywhere you want, Lord, except Kansas or Nebraska, because I need my trees. And one day she came to me, and she said, I was talking with the Lord this morning. This isn't a quote. It's not exactly the way she said it. But I was talking to the Lord this morning, and I told him I'll go anywhere, including Kansas or Nebraska. And where did we end up? In tree country, Bellingham, Washington. So when she told that story, that was exhorting. God gives us better than we can ever expect. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we need to assemble together. We need the strength that comes from our union together as a church as things get worse. And the Bible says things will wax worse and worse. I need you guys. You guys need me. 
We need that strength. It encourages us to do what we're supposed to do. There's one last verse, and, and I'll finish up with this. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the bottom line. God knows everything, and that should cause us to do these things. We've got all the promises of Scripture. That should affect our lives. That should affect the way we live. It should cause us to live the way that pleases God. We should cleanse both our flesh, that's the outward part, and our spirit, that's the inward part. We should be perfecting holiness. What does that mean? That means we should be maturing in our holiness. We should be more and more like Christ as we get older. The longer we're Christians, the more faults we find that we have. Not because we have more than we did before, but we didn't recognize them as faults before. The closer you walk with God, the more your unholiness shows. But we should be striving for it. We should do all of this in the fear of God. If you remember these two things tonight, you have learned all you need to learn tonight. First of all, God knows everything. Secondly, because He knows anything, everything, we cannot pull the wool over His eyes. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.